today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The NBA season tipped off, uh, well, about a week ago, December 22nd, after being forced to pause last season in March due to the pandemic. They then finished off the year with a roller coaster of a ride in the Disney bubble. Um, Toronto Raptors TV color analyst Jack Armstrong believes that this season, uh, for many teams, maybe for all teams, is going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge uh, for a lot of these teams. You not only have the traditional issues that you go through during a season with injuries and all those types of things, but now you have the virus in play as well. So uh, you just don't know what to expect from teams. Yeah, that virus seems to just be in the way, doesn't it? Joe Casciaro is the senior NBA writer for thescore.com, and he joins us now. Joe, good morning. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Uh, it's going great. Thanks for coming on today. Um, let's take a quick look back at 2020, uh, because in the NBA, which really, in my mind, set the tone at the start of the pandemic to become the first major pro sports league to say, you know what, we got to press pause here and figure out what's going on. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I think the NBA kind of set the stage for, for the rest of the sports world when it comes to the pandemic anyway, you know, with Rudy Gobert famously testing positive and then, the, you know, the foot of him touching the mics and then the NBA shutting down, being the first league to shut down. You know, I think in a lot of ways, if you're talking about sports in 2020, um, you have to look at the NBA as kind of the defining league um, and maybe for good and for bad, right? Like I, like I mentioned right, with the pandemic response um you know there are arguments to be made on the other side as well you know the the bubble was a success from the perspective of not a single player tested positive while they were in there but you know there's the other argument too that the nba created this system where these professional athletes in this bubble and anyone associated with them was was safe and literally because they were in florida you know the world just outside their protected gates was you know from a health perspective burning and and so, yeah, and then, you know, even if you want to talk about um, the social justice causes that happened this season, um, the NBA obviously was at the forefront of that as well, with the players taking a stand and, you know, walking out, the Bucks starting that trend of, the, of teams not playing for those few days and uh, the decision that had to be made at the time of whether the season would even continue or not. So I think, you know, obviously there are bigger things in basketball, bigger things in sports, but I really do think that if you – from a sports perspective, if you're trying to look back on just what an insanely memorable year 2020 was, and oftentimes not for the right reasons, I really think from a sports perspective, it's defined by what happened and didn't happen in the NBA. Yeah, not to quote the movie Shrek, but there is there, this is a massive onion uh, that, that the NBA kind of created in the bubble because there were so many layers to it. It was obviously the pandemic, you know, a, a new format of being uh, in a tournament in one place with no fans. Uh, yeah, the Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, you know, segment of it with uh, George Floyd's killing and Breonna Taylor and, uh, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks and really the rest of the league or at least the players that were involved at that time saying, yeah, we got to shut things down and, and we're not sure if we're going to play. There were so many things going on in the bubble. Yeah, it was it was a truly... A wild couple months there in the NBA, and then you know you barely get to catch your breath. And you know, for like the two teams that made the finals with the Lakers and Miami, within a five weeks, training camp starts between the end of the finals, and you know it was just such a whirlwind of a year. And then you know, not to get too depressing here, but then you got to remember, like this is a year that started with losing Kobe Bryant. Like in any other year. 
that tragic loss of one of the most iconic figures in you know the 21st century in basketball so far would have been by far the defining moment of the year and something that you know no one could have moved past from a news perspective anytime soon after it happened and instead just because of like i said just how wild this year was you know a lot of times when you look back on on the nba in 2020 you know, that's probably the third thing you're going to talk about. And, uh, yeah, I just think that goes to show what, a, like I said earlier, you know, what a memorable year it was, but memorable not for the right reason. Joe Casciaro is the senior NBA writer for thescore.com, joining us here on the Bill Kelly Show on 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML Hamilton. Rick in for Bill uh, this morning. In hindsight, you know, the NHL has said that, you know, the bubble was great in terms of keeping the infection out, but the players really didn't like it because uh, obviously they were segregated from the general population. From an NBA perspective, do you think the league would have done anything differently given the chance? You know, I'm really not sure. Like, I know a lot of people talked about the isolation factor and players being away from the families. And yeah, I mean, definitely um, that was a sacrifice they made in the bubble. But at the same time, I really don't know how much more the league could have done from that perspective, just because, as you mentioned with the NHL, it was a success in the sense that they kept the virus out. And that was, you know, the, the main reason for going in that bubble was keeping the virus out and being able to finish the season. And from that sense, I don't really know if there's anything the NBA would do differently because it worked, right? If, if, if that's how we're going to measure the success of that bubble, I think you have to say it was a resounding success. Yeah, totally agree. And so far this season, I know there's been some positives here and there, but it has been okay thus far. Yeah, I mean, there's been, you know, some positives here and there during training camp in the preseason. And I think the last round of player testing, I believe two positives. And um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's never going to be as, foolproof I guess as the bubble was but I think for the most part the NBA has rules in place that if they are followed things should be okay um, you know if they are followed being the big caveat we already saw what happened with James Harden you know twice already with um, some maskless partying at various establishments so like you know those rules are only as good as uh, the people that follow them I guess. You mentioned James Harden and I was going to bring his name up later but uh, let, let's tackle it now when I say his name I mean what comes to mind? Because it's been an interesting off season and start to the season for him. Yeah, I mean, I think what comes to mind, a lot of things come to mind. Uh, on a basketball um, court, a guy is an elite offense unto himself. If you have him on your team in a regular season, you can almost pencil yourself in for 50 wins in elite offense and probably a trip to the second round of the playoffs. I mean, the guy is that good. And in a very golden age of superstar talent, he is at worst a top eight player, probably more like a top six player. And, you know, in the regular season, he's been a top two player most of the time. The guy's finished top two in MVP voting three of the last four years or four of the last five, whatever it is. Like he, the guy is that good. And then off the court, you know, there, there was always rumblings about his off the court behavior and no one really cared, I guess, because he gets the job done on the court. And now this year is a little different because, the stuff he's doing off the court, it's not just stuff you can brush off. It's like, well, you know, whatever floats your boat off the court. It's, you know, he's, he's being reckless and, and dangerous with the stuff he's doing in the middle of a pandemic. But, you know, I was on another show recently, and I kind of said the same thing. I don't know if you remember, if you're an NFL fan at all, but if you remember the old Jets coach, Herm Edwards, mm-hmm. and he had that famous quote uh, after a game, you know, where he said, you play to win the game. Hello? And, and so I always come back to that when people ask me about James Harden, because a lot of times people ask, you know, given some of the foolishness that's going on 
is he even worth it? And that's the answer I always come back to. Until the business of pro sports is no longer about playing to win the game, then James Harden is worth the trouble, you know, regardless of how you feel about him on or off the court. I guess, you know, he's also getting attention, too, after reportedly turning down $50 million a year to play a game. But, you know, that's a, that's a, another aspect to this. Uh, many people around this area, of course, wondering what is up with the Toronto Raptors. They're 0-3 for the first time in 15 years. Uh, Raps head coach Nick Nurse saying that he senses some uneasiness with his players. Here's uh, Coach Nurse. There's a little bit of unsettledness, right, Um with the team i mean i think it's evident in a lot of the guys uh you know offensive play being so erratic right and i think some of that's carrying over to the other end but you know and we gotta we gotta stretch out our good moments we've played some great moments in all the games you know yeah you know tonight again that was probably 30 really good minutes i wrote about this a couple of weeks ago you know toronto to me is due for a setback in 2021 you, you lose Kawhi leonard Danny Green's out the door the same year. A year later, Serge Ibaka's gone. Marcus Gasol is gone. That's a lot of talent and a lot of experience uh, and a lot of gel and glue guys that you've lost from your roster, and they really haven't replaced them with anything of similar quality. So how can they not take a step back? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think if you're coming at it from the perspective of where they were at the pinnacle, right, where they literally won a championship and they're competing, you know, in – legitimately competing for a championship, then I think for sure, as you mentioned, how can you not take a step back given the talent they've lost and what they may or may not have replaced it with. But I still think, I think they're so much better than an 0-3 record. And I still think on paper, they are a, what I'd call a fringe contender where I don't think they are actually going to compete for a championship, but I think there's enough talent. And especially on the defensive end where they're at least in the mix for like, if things break right, they're still knocking on the door. In a, in a very competitive Eastern Conference. The thing is, you, as you lose talent, the margin for error narrows. And that's why I say, you know, you need things to break right. And so far, as we know, in this 0-3 start, not much is breaking right for them. Some of that, you know, is self-inflicted. So, yeah, you know, I agree with you that I think what the, the talent losses have done is it's just made the margin for error tinier and tinier as it gone along, right? And last night's a perfect example. You don't have Marcus Gasol in a matchup against Joel Embiid and the Sixers that Marcus Gasol has traditionally dominated defensively. And so the margin for error against Philly is a lot smaller than it ever was, and that's what happened last night. Nick Nurse isn't lying when he said they played probably 30 really good minutes, and they played a lot of good minutes in each game. But as that margin for error narrows, um, you know, you need to play 40 out of 48 good minutes instead of maybe 30 or 35. It just kind of adds up over the course of the season. So I think, I think as the season rolls on, they'll be fine for the most part, but I also think that depends on how you define fine for this team and what your expectations are for this team. We're chatting with Joe Casciaro. He's the senior NBA writer for thescore.com here on the Bill Kelly Show, 980 CFBL London, 900 CHML Hamilton. Rick Samprin in for Bill Kelly today. Uh, he's got the mega gazillion dollar contract, but are you still buying that Pascal Siakam can still be a superstar in, in the NBA, especially uh, not riding shotgun with Kawhi? Yeah, no, I do. I think... You know, I think what people forget a lot of times with, like, the max contract stuff is that, you know, just the the way the NBA salary cap is designed and the way contracts come up and, and have to be renegotiated, like, I think a lot of people get caught up in when a guy gets a max contract, you know, well, he's not, if he's not, like, a top, top 10 player or if he's not, like, an MVP candidate, he's not worth the money. And I think you have to remember that, you know, in terms of the NBA marketplace, a guy like Pascal Siakam, you know, who was an all-star last year, has been getting better, was an all-NBA player last year. Like, that guy is 
a max player. Now, he's not a super max player. He's not an MVP candidate. But given the NBA marketplace, he is a max player, if that makes sense uh, to the listeners. And I think we can say that and still acknowledge that he has to be better, right? Like, you know, he was a disaster in the bubble. And then you kind of chalk that up to, okay, he had a bad couple months and see how the season starts. And I think to start the season defensively, the effort's been there. Offensively, he, he's definitely in a better flow than he was in in the bubble, but he needs to be better, no doubt about it. He needs to finish better around the rim. He needs to be a little more decisive in crunch time. You know, he's starting games really well. And the first couple games, he was moving the ball really well. And then the fourth quarter comes along, and it's not just him, it's the entire offense, but he's a big part of it. He just kind of looks stuck in mud and is a little indecisive when he catches the ball and sometimes forces things that aren't there. So I still think the ability, especially the two-way ability, and I think defense is often undervalued, it's there. And, and it's there at a point where he can be worth his contract, but he needs to be better and smarter on the offensive end, especially in crunch time. And again, I, again, I think we can acknowledge that he can be a max-level player and still never be, you know, he's never going to be a Kawhi. If people are expecting him to be like a top, three to five player in the NBA, I think they're kidding themselves. But can he be what his contract is worth? And can he still be like a top two player on a title contending team? Absolutely. One more question for you, LeBron James, who, by the way, turns 36 today, uh, and the Lakers, um, obviously the defending champions. uh, They're the odds-on favorite to to go back-to-back and win it again this year. What team or teams are going to give the Lakers a run for their money? I mean, the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George, like you got to figure they... They have to be capable of doing it, but I still have my doubts about that team. Um, Denver in the West, maybe, but I guess, you know, I, I think the one team that I come back to is Brooklyn. If if Kevin Durant is healthy and is anything close to peak Kevin Durant when the playoffs roll around, I think Brooklyn has a chance because I really do think Kevin Durant's that good. You know, I think people forget this. No one has come closer to taking LeBron's crown as the king of the NBA in the last decade. Like Durant, at his best, was that good. And so I think if he's healthy with Kyrie Irving beside him and just all the talent and creation around them on the offensive end, I do think that team is at least capable of pushing the Lakers. But I also think, you know, the Lakers won it last year with on the backs of how good LeBron and Anthony Davis were with an inferior roster around them. Like, they have gotten better on paper. They're a, probably a better shooting team. They're a more versatile defensive team. They have more on-ball creation. Like, they're a better team around LeBron and AD this year. And so I think the only way teams are really going to catch up with them is if this is finally the year LeBron slows down. And if you've watched the first few games, that does not seem to be the case. You know, you mentioned he turns 36 today. And uh, the guy is just not slowing down. He's an absolute athletic marvel. And if he keeps doing what he does with Anthony Davis beside him and a better team around them this year, I really don't know if I see a team that can beat them four out of seven times in the playoffs. Yeah, LeBron can still ball at 36, and anyone who second guesses that, he'll just uh, you know ratchet it up a few more notches and, uh, and take the trophy again. Uh, Joe, really appreciate the time today. Uh, all the best in 2021. Yeah, same to you. Thanks for having me. Joe Casciaro, senior NBA writer for thescore.com. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.